In this week's podcast episode of the Joseph series, we learn about how the story of Joseph is in many ways a story of forgiveness, true forgiveness, that kind of grace that lacks all sense of fairness. Because let's face it, do we really want what is quote unquote coming to us? Our summer series is from the book of Genesis, and it's a look at the life of Joseph, who was a forerunner, an archetype of Jesus, the Messiah. He's he's one of many Old Testament deliverers that tell God's story uh, of redemption over and over and over. And uh, where we are in the story today is that there is a famine that has encompassed the entire earth. There's no rain, the the crops are not growing, food is running out, and we're going to pick up the story today in Genesis 42. Jacob now has 11 sons living in Canaan, and they have no food. They have a real problem, and what are they going to do about it? Can you imagine sitting in Canaan around the, the, the table, and there's very little food, if any, left, and you're all looking at one another, and... Jacob says this. I love the first verse of chapter 42. It says, Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? Don't you love that? These boys, these young men, actually are petrified. There's no grain. There's no hope of grain in Canaan where they lived. It's like they're sitting around just waiting to die. And so I ask you, have you ever faced a life and death problem that just stopped you in your tracks? Maybe not even life and death, just something that just made you deer in the headlights, not sure I can take another step forward. That's what this famine had done in these young men. Here's the point. Fear can paralyze you. You ever been there? It it paralyzes you when you allow it to germinate and steal you of your hope. Because into every one of our lives, there's going to come events or moments that actually scare us to death. It it can be a a catastrophic loss, the death of someone we, we love, something that makes us think, it just can't get any worse than this. It may be a risk you're about to take, and it it scares you to death. I've had moments like that in my life. At first, you're just petrified to think of the future and what may happen. Sometimes, we just need someone to verbally slap us in the face. Amen? Sometimes, we just need to wake up. That's what Jacob's doing for for his sons. Why are you staring at one another? It's his way of saying, we still have hope. We just need to act. We need to do something. We can't just sit around staring at each other until we die. Get on down to Egypt, boys, because I've heard they have grain. So 10 of the brothers head for Egypt. The youngest, Benjamin, stays back with his father, Jacob. He's the youngest. He's dad's favorite. He was born by dad's favorite wife. That's a whole other story. We're not going to go into it. <laughs> in other words, stop being governed by your fear and step out in faith. 
You remember the back story here that's led us to this point, right? These are the brothers who 20 years earlier had sold their brother Joseph into slavery and told Dad he's dead. But he wasn't. Joseph is now the ruler over the land of Egypt and in charge of the distribution of food. And who needs food? But the brothers, they don't know anything about that. All they know is that they are hungry, hungry. Picking up the story in verse 6. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, where have you come from? They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. Remember the dreams? The dreams of them bowing down to him, and what is he looking at right now? Them with their faces to the ground. Joseph says to them, you are spies. You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land, and then... They said to him, no, 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 my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, no, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, your servants are, 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 are 12 brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is, he's with our father today, and, and, and one is, is no longer alive Whew. can you imagine being Joseph they virtually said he's dead to us now to understand the full weight of this you need a little context Egypt was the richest part of the world with great palaces and the wealth of the nation was renowned in its time and Joseph, no doubt, clad in an emperor's robe with dazzling jewels, his appearance was striking. These brothers came from rural Canaan, a not-so-rich place. They were what we would call fish out of water in Egypt. I don't know if you've ever been to Southern California. What do I mean? Half of you are from there, okay? <laughs> All right, so you'll know what I'm talking about, okay? I don't know if you've ever been to Southern California and taken the tour through the homes of the stars. Every mansion you pass is the home of a, some movie star, some important person, now just imagine yourself on that tour and you're driving down the mansion line streets and you pass this group of people. I'd have to come and listen to my story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground come a bubbling crude oil, that is, black gold. Yes, 
If you're under 40, you have no idea what just happened. <laughs> right? Bunch of hillbillies. I couldn't pass that up, I, I tell you. It would be similar to these Canaanite brothers showing up in Egypt. And, and before Joseph, can you imagine the upper hand, the leverage Joseph has in this situation? It's not just he has legal authority over them because of his position. He has also relational leverage. Because they had victimized him 20 years ago, forever changing the path of his life. He held all the cards. But instead of revealing who he is, scolding them before he had them executed, <laughs> it was like he decided to play a little game with them. You're undercover spies, aren't you? He knew exactly who they were. He had the leverage to make them pay and chose not to. You only get there through the path of forgiveness. Somewhere during all those years, Joseph forgave his brothers. He realized his journey is really all part of God's plan. He absolutely refused to hold this against them. So here's the point. Forgiveness refuses to use relational leverage. You ever been given relational leverage? You know, that's when somebody wrongs you, you got something on them? It, it, it's kind of like letting the guilty off the hook. The story of Joseph in so many ways is the story of forgiveness. There's lots of stories in Scripture about forgiveness. I remember Stephen in Acts 6 and 7, a man preaching the Word of God, and the good news of the gospel, and the religious leaders of the time argued with him, but they were put to shame because he was so much smarter than they were. Funny how that goes sometimes, right? So they falsely accuse him. They stir up the people. They drag him before the ruling council, and they, they hold a sham of a trial, accusing him of blasphemy. And Stephen in, in chapter 7 gives this lengthy, lengthy defense of Jewish history and then finishes with the declaration and the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ before these religious leaders. They were infuriated. They dragged him through the city streets to the outskirts of the city and started throwing stones at him. Stephen says two things while the stones are pelting his body. The first one is a prayer for the Lord Jesus to receive his spirit. As he lingers, he utters a second prayer. He says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And he dies. He had every right to ask God in, these, in this, this last hour, would you avenge this wrong? He had the relational leverage but he chose the peace of the soul that comes from forgiveness. 
Corrie Tim Boom. I talk about her often. She's such an inspiring figure in history and uh, author of The Hiding Place and a prisoner at Ravensbrück, a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. And the captivity was horrific. Her sister Betsy died in the camp. And after the war in 1947, she was asked to speak at a church in Munich. And she chose the subject of forgiveness. And after the service, this is what happened. I'll read you what she wrote. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who stood guard at the shower door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time, and suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing on the floor, and Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein. To think that, as you say, God has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who preached so often of the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened to me. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Lewis Smedes wrote this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover the prisoner was you. You know, Joseph, still working undercover with his brothers, orders them to go back to Canaan and bring their other brother back with them and to uh, ensure their compliance. He's going to keep one of them hostage in Egypt. Simeon was chosen. Simeon was second uh, oldest. I think Reuben, once he had heard that Reuben had stood up for him 20 years ago, he said, well, okay, I won't keep Reuben. We'll go to second choice. 21st verse. Then they said to one another, these are the brothers talking, truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you, do not sin against this boy? 
and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So as you look at this story, you can, you can identify with one or the other groups. You can identify with Joseph or his brothers. And here's the status of their spiritual life right now. The brothers, all bound up in sin. Joseph, free in God's grace. It's been 20 years. They are still full of remorse over what they did to Joseph. They're still bound all up in it. Juice, uh, Ro, Reuben accuses the others. He said, I told you not to do it. I wonder, I wonder if he's been saying that for 20 years. I told you not to do this. These guys are scared silly. And they're rotting inside. Sin is still governing their lives. For 20 years, they, they, they have been able to ignore it, set it aside, pretend it never happened, but the first sign of trouble, where do they go? Why did we do that? Joseph on there, there, and he's completely different. His heart had forgotten the pain. He had the joy of forgetfulness. <laughs> the issue has long been settled with him. You see, he weeps, I think, because God has softened his heart for his brothers. He sees what they're going through. I think he also weeps because now he sees the whole plan of God unfolding. Was he sent to Egypt to save Egypt? He was sent to Egypt to be the right man in the right place at the right time to save his family, the lineage of the Messiah. He understands his destiny, his purpose in the grand plan of God. That's what forgiveness will do. Forgiveness aligns your heart with God's. Then Joseph does this, verse 25. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money. And behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? <laughs> we would never say something like that, would we? We never see the problems and issues in our life and blame him, do we? They all had a wad of cash in their sacks. And it says they trembled. The, the word actually means chattering teeth. They were in trouble. So automatically, how do they respond? Why has God done this to us? 
They think this gift is going to get them in deeper trouble. How else could it be explained? That man is going to accuse us of stealing. We are done. This has just gotten a whole lot worse in their minds. And later on in the story, we see they all had money in their sack. They had the grain and the money and provisions. This wasn't right. This wasn't fair. We, we made an exchange. We brought our money. We were going to get grain, and yet now we come back with both. They didn't understand that the giver had just given them a gift of grace. They didn't understand this point. Grace totally lacks all sense of fairness. (laughs) I say, praise the Lord it does. Amen? Do you want what's fair? Obviously, the story of Joseph is really the story of Jesus. He sees our sin, yet his forgiveness not only fills our hearts, he requires nothing from us. You can't buy it. The only exchange is giving up your sin for his goodness, his righteousness. And the picture in the story is undeserving, hungry people just being lavishly fed. Grace, grace. Tomorrow, Cindy and I are going to uh, get in my truck and drive away. That didn't sound right, did it? No, we're going to take one last little jaunt to... I shouldn't tell you, Colorado, 10,000 feet in the air. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just going to be it's going to be rough. We're going to stay in a cabin that um, is almost a mile from where I grew up going to youth camp. I started there when I was 11, went every year till I graduated from high school. And I think one day this week I'm going to head over there and ask if I can visit the chapel. I know where the spot is. I can kneel on the spot where one day grace found me. I was 14. I was a miserable, sinful wreck. I came offering nothing that God would ever want. Yet, I remember kneeling down that night, miserable, just soaked in sin, and I remember rising from that place, clean, white as snow. I remember thinking, I am free. I am free. 
Jesus set me free. I, I came to him with sin, sin, and more sin, and he came to me with just grace upon grace upon grace. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All I can say is Jesus saves. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? And he's still doing it. Time is short, folks, and we've talked about that. I think he's coming soon. Time is short. But think of it this way. Life is short. And you, you may be here today, and you're like the brothers, and you're carrying around some failure or sin or fear, and it haunts you, and every problem that arises you feel is somehow God getting back at you. Can I just tell you, that's not the way he is. He lavishly forgives. You may be harboring a hurt that's been done to you. Can I just say, forgive them, be set free. Let go of your right to your pain. Let him in. All the way in. Because today, Jesus is good news for the afflicted. Jesus heals the brokenhearted, brings freedom to the captive. Jesus comforts all who mourn, exchanging their ashes for gladness. Amen. He exchanges their fainting spirit for a mantle of praise. Jesus makes us oaks of righteousness. The very planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. I say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One, two, three, four. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.